When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As of right now, we are at war. How desperate. You call on such lost creatures to defend you. How desperate am I? You threaten my world with war. You steal a force you can't hope to control. You talk about peace and you kill because it's fun. You have made me very desperate. You might not be glad that you did. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if they could become something more. Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast and resource to the discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol and the Marvel Universe. My name is Jesse Aiken, and today I'm not joined by Chris, but I am joined by Charles, that's Omnis of Omnis Protocol. Welcome back to the show, Omnis. It's good to be back. I'm sorry that my presence uh, shattered your intro organization. It still works. I, I, <laughs> I think it's there. You know, I've said Jesse and Chris over 70 times, and it's just, you know, it's one of those things. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, and someone else. But yeah, it's it's good to be here, man. I've always had a lot of fun recording with you. Yeah, I think something really cool between our shows is there's a lot of parallels and similarities, and there's a lot of differences between our shows. But in that happening, we actually have a lot of commonality of listeners that get different things from our shows, which I think is wonderful. And I think, you know, Charles has this strategic mind that we always got to bring on the show once in a while because strategy is my part of Fury's Finest and lore is Chris's part of Fury's Finest. And it's nice to get another strategy person on and have fun. And I also know, Charles, that you, similar to me, I mean, I know you like to maximize your play, but you also like to play models you like, which that means a lot to me because I have a really hard time sometimes just playing only the best models because there's always models I just like that I'm going to play. And I know it's something you like to do too. Yeah, I've I feel that I've, I think a lot of the game designer friends and stuff that we've had is, uh, have yes. asked questions like, Hey, what's, what's the most important draw for you to like come to a miniatures game? And as much as I'd love to say that it's uh, the rule set, I have to enjoy the aesthetic first. Yes. First and foremost, like have to enjoy the aesthetic. And so I've got to enjoy the aesthetic of the model for me to want to play it. No. MCP is nice because I kind of enjoy the aesthetic of almost all of them. <laughs> right. Same here. So it's, it's easy, but yeah, you and I are in the same, like if I really actively do not like the model, it is really, really hard for me to justify putting it on the table. You know, and sadly that's why I haven't got Cassandra Nova to the table yet. I'm just going to be honest right here. I will probably only play Lockjaw if I absolutely have to. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Yeah. We discussed aesthetic, you know, and that's a really important part of Marvel Christ Protocol. And I think having fun and enjoying the themes a big part too. And you're a great host and you're a great podcaster. And that means a lot to me because I do think some really great podcasts about Marvel Christ Protocol out there, but not all of them are necessarily for people who aren't gamers. And I think that's a misstep. I think every podcast 
should be for everyone if possible. And I think I want to bring as many people into this game as we can. And sometimes we get really meta heady and all this stuff and we lose the kitchen table gamers or even just the casual tournament goers. And I think that's something your show captures really well too, is you can get into deep tragedy talk, but you don't lose the listener and super heady nerd gaming talk. I think you keep it (laughs) in a real podcast based level. And it really means a lot to me because number one, we're a podcast and then we're doing a podcast about this game. We love so much. So I think if you can nail the podcast part and then you've got good hosts, it's just going. And I think that's really important to me because I want as many people to be into this hobby. We love as, as possible. And of course, narrowing it down to this game as much as possible. Yeah. Podcasting for me is definitely, I like it best when it feels like two friends chatting about a game that they love. I would agree. All the other content aside, when that's what the podcast feels like, that's really when it's at its best. And it's the same thing when I'm listening to other people. Like, it's so easy. When it just sounds like friends talking about a game that they love, I'm just, I'm in, I'm pulled in. And so I love when, I love when any show can be like that. Absolutely. And that's kind of the balance we try to do as podcasters, right? Is have a good conversation with our friends, but also make it accessible to the listener where it's like, well, we have topics, we have a plan, (laughs) but we're also kind of going off the cuff too. Right. So it is a delicate balance. So I think it's something hopefully our shows share in common and definitely our listeners share in common because, you know, we both have a lot of listeners that enjoy our content differently and some of the things the same. And that means a lot to me because Chris and I put a lot of time into this. I know you put a lot of time into this, Charles. And, you know, it's a labor of love and it's like a part-time job. And that's something we're going to get into today. Sometimes life happens and slows that down. And I think that's going to be our first topic today before we even get into any big news that might have happened in Marvel Christ Protocol, like the mini extravaganza. The first question I have, Charles, of course, why I was texting you a lot was what happened to Omnis Protocol and where have you been lately? Because the community misses you and we want to hear the story. And I really appreciate you saying that. I do appreciate you reaching out. And I appreciate when the question has come up in the Facebook groups and stuff. Um, It's been slightly more complicated than what I felt like I could easily type out, which is probably why I didn't answer the question. But the long and short of it is I didn't intend to step away. Okay. What did happen was is I don't know how many of the listeners know this, but back in 2015, I was over 300 pounds. And I I hit a point and I was like, this has to change. And one year later, I was 187. I dropped like 213 pounds or 113 pounds in a year. 213 pounds in a year. That'd be insane. Not that 113 wasn't already insane. I think that's already pretty insane and impressive. But I made a promise to myself that it's okay if I have some weight fluctuation, but I need to not hit a larger clothes size. And honestly, that happened. I let that happen to the point I actually had to buy some larger clothes. And that was not MCP's fault. That was just hit quarantine during, you know, a muggy spring. And, you know, suddenly I'm working from a home. I'm not, you know, just grabbing my laptop from the bed. I know a lot. This is probably not a weird story by any means. I think there's probably a lot of people that know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, a lot of commonality right now for a lot of people. It was made additionally worse for me because I was getting so into the podcast and editing the videos that I just developed some really bad habits. And I just like snack on some Doritos and edit a video. And that stuff takes so much time that just snacking a lot and it and it got bad. And so I realized that I needed to make some changes, but I hadn't actually intended to step away from the game. But while I was making the changes, I had also just started season two. And my original intention had been that I wanted to go back and revisit some of the other topics and try to 
hit them in kind of a more less hypothetical and more, okay, now that the game has been around for a year plus, you know, this is how I feel on this. And do I think this is still true or do I think it's definitive? But I one, I was having a really hard time excited to go back and revisit topics. Like it just, it wasn't an exciting thing for me to just kind of like do the same thing again. It was also coming into Christmas and such. And I was having a really hard time bringing myself wanting to basically bug people to record since most of the people I know have shows of their own. And so I was kind of like, all right, well, let me just let me just get through the holidays. And then then the holidays were all done. And I was just kind of like looking at what's going on. I just didn't have something interesting to say. And I was seeing models and stuff released. But then it was I'm not trying to rag on AMG here. Like this stuff is out of your control. But when you don't really know when you're going to get something like I'm very goal oriented. And so I was having a really hard time being excited or motivated to like really like think about this stuff. I wasn't really sure when I was going to have it and when I was going to be able to play it. And so just kind of all of that stuff combined kind of just put me into a like, I just don't have the motivation to do this. But again, it was never really like an active intention to step away. I was always looking at the stuff on the Facebook groups and like looking at all the new models. And every time a panel to play would come out, I was reading it like I still have AMG on Twitter, like notifications on. So every time they tweet, I get a notification on my phone and I go look at the stuff. Now, part of it is I also like to be very positive. And just there's a lot of releases that I just wasn't that excited about. And some of that may have actually come from my personal just lack of motivation to like think about the game enough to examine into the figures because I'm already noticing some stuff that I didn't click at first. Like my very first time I looked at The Amazing Spider-Man. Okay. Yeah. I was like, this seems like an absolutely casual model that's not for serious play. And, And that was kind of disappointing to me. But then I realized, like, it didn't click at first that he's another long mover on a 50 millimeter base. And that was just a little thing that didn't click at first with my lack of motivation. And so I really wanted to kind of come back, look at things with fresh eyes and say, like, the motivation's coming back. And so you were the first person I reached out to because, you know, you had spent so much time uh, being like, dude, let's podcast. When are you ready? And made it very easy where I'm like, all right, I'm not harassing this person and I'm not being an inconvenience. I think a lot of people know what I'm talking about there. Like, it's really easy to feel like a burden on other people. Yes. Anyway, that's that's kind of like the gist of it. I know people ask people like, hey, what's going on? And I was having a hard time wanting to type that whole like blah, blah, blah out. So was there any one thing that happened recently? Like, was it just you kind of getting your excitement back for the game and getting your health back? And just kind of your your plan for the show reinvigorated? Is that was it just could that all happen over the last couple of months or what was the big change? If I'm around two hundred pounds, it's usually fine. And I'd gotten up to about like two twenty-five. And so my big goal is to be back under two hundred. I'm like one ninety-four, one ninety-five at the moment. So for the most part, health back exactly where it should be. Right. Um, I was also like heavily getting an itch to podcast again. Even recorded some stuff that was kind of about movies, been trying to like have this like background idea of something that I wanted to do. So I was already like everything had been turned on and like set up and you know, kind of like testing audio quality and that sort of thing. Um so I was definitely like feeling a drive, but I didn't have a lot to say on mcp yet and then honestly like seeing a hulkbuster (laughs) oh here it is like was one of the things i was like oh but then i was still like man still not sure like does hulkbuster fit in in a sam squad does hulkbuster 
make Cap good enough to play? Right. Or do you run him at the zone? And I didn't really know an answer to that question. I was like, well, I need to think some more. But then we just got bombarded with information from there. And so that started generating a lot of thoughts, a lot of conversations. And that's what kind of led to this episode. I love it. So Hulkbuster literally kind of busts through at a given point. But also, you know, you were taking a lot of steps long before that. But that, that is exciting that there was one particular model that really did bring you back in a big way. And, you know, I understand, man, like we say on the show a lot is, you know, I don't ever like when people knock any models in this game, at least from a, you know, strategic standpoint, because every model in this game and every model in this game that comes out in the future will be someone's favorite character or just yes. model they want to play. Not necessarily favorite character, like just model they want to play as well. Or sometimes those are the same thing. And I think it really means a lot when we get representation of all these characters, but also that they all do different things and they all work in the game somehow, which is great. And people get to play their favorite characters, you know, and that's really important to me. And I, I think Hulkbuster is going to bring a lot of people to the game and similar to why I'm so excited to play Dormammu. Dormammu is not one of my necessary, one of my favorite characters, but I do like playing big bad guys sometimes. <laughs> and, yeah. and I'm more excited about what the model's going to do for kind of like you as the player, because you have to maximize everything right. And you're just playing a whole nother game, but also like when people are just walking by and you have this beautifully painted, huge miniature, this will be the same with Hulkbuster. And people are going to say, what is that? What is this game? I need to see what's happening here. And, you know, I'm really passionate about that. So anytime they release models like that, I think it's a boon for the game. And Hulkbuster, of course, is a huge boon for the game. Yes, that is something where you definitely don't want to mess up Hulkbuster. I think like a lot of people that was very high on their list of things that they wanted to see show up in the game. And it is, like you said, people are going to see that when they don't see other things. And they're going to see Hulkbuster and be like, Oh, what's this? Right. But before we we end up like <laughs> diving, we're kind of like hitting the characters, but we wanted to talk about the rule changes. Yes. Which rule do you want to start with? I'll let you pick. I mean, we could start as simple as just the crisis change, if you want to start there. Yeah, no, that that's perfect. Because I think it's a dynamic change, and I think some people are kind of sounding the alarms, and some people are also celebrating, and I'm hoping we can some, bring some nuance to the discussion on what it means for the game going forward, potentially. Yeah, for sure. So if I understand things correct, it is that it's just going to be random. One card is pulled out, and then that is the one that you're doing, so you don't really choose between the three. Is that Was that your takeaway? Yes, that's the takeaway. I mean, of course, you're still going to get to choose either your secure or extract deck if you won the roll off. Yes. And you're going to know what's in those. And it's going to matter more now than ever. But yes, say I chose the red deck and now I'm going to draw from it randomly. And that's what we're playing on red. And then my opponent's going to do the same on blue. I found that really compelling, actually. It's interesting. I think I'm in the ground of when I think about how it's going to affect the competitive side of things. Right. And I go, well, is this a negative or positive change? And I think for me, my first instinct is a baseline neutral. Like it's a change, not necessarily for the better or the worse. And you're speaking strictly competitive. This is strictly from a sense of like competitive balance. Yep. You're going to lose an aspect of designing your crisis or your, you know, your crisis selection with maybe like a counter pick 
right? Like a lot of teams would, would include a counter pick specifically Correct. for some certain situations, but now you may not include that because you don't want to get trapped into it in the wrong situation. You might see an overall kind of blander selection since you can't really control which one you get versus a particular opponent. But it also kind of breeds list diversity because you're not going to have as much ability to force Gamma Wave or force Demons Downtown, that sort of thing. Like if you have a specific situation that you want to play as much as possible, you're now hitting a point that if you went and did a four round tournament, you might only get to play that once, maybe not even at all. Which inherently makes your 10 model roster more dynamic and it's going to change more as the tournament goes on. Because I think what a lot of people were doing in the past was they were always picking that objective they mainly wanted and then they had a kind of a fallback second and then they had a third that was a counter, like you said. Mm -hmm. Now it's just going to be kind of your team needs to be optimized for all these objectives. But also I feel like now you're doing less counter picking in the crisis phase against your opponent and doing more counterpicking with your team. So you might have a scalpel in your team or something, you know, that you might not use very often. Let's say Iron Fist, who's in your team for maybe a couple reasons, but the biggest reason is that he can put an activated token on a Thanos or a Corvus. I don't think it's necessarily like it was in the past where you see Thanos and Corvus and you're, you're choosing a crisis a certain way and all this. That's out of your control. But now you're going to choose Iron Fist potentially because you know you're playing Black Order player and you want to put an activated token on some of their big models. And that's kind of Iron Fist maybe list like reason he's in your list and other times he's not as much. I don't know. I just think it's pretty interesting. Now people really have to work on their 10 models and optimize it in more interesting ways. Right. And so I do think overall, my first instinct is that it's net zero. However, from just a, I want to say versatility, and that is not the word that I mean, from a variety sake, I think it's an improvement just from the, the impact of it's really easy. Like if you, for, there was a while where I felt like almost every game was on gamma wave. Yes. Just so many of them. And then, it, then it hit a point where it just seems like almost everything was on demons downtown. And then for a while it was like evac all the time. There was these points where it just felt like there was very specific crisis that people really liked forcing. And it felt like, a vast majority of games were being played on only a handful of the crisis cards. And when I was trying to like record videos, I'm like, well, what, you know, you, you want to create these situations where you're playing it on what those teams would want to be playing on, but also trying to have, you know, a variety. It was kind of hard sometimes to go like, how can I make it to where not every video is kind of in the same few crisis combos, but be realistic. And I think this change does absolutely mean just from a, uh, like an avoid burnout, keep things varied and interesting. This change is great. I couldn't agree more. And obviously a, a big improvement for us content creators, like you said, if you're doing video content or streaming or whatever it is, we are going to see a lot of variety of objectives, placement of objectives. And also you got to think about too, like the combinations of objectives are going to be more dynamic now as well. So what I mean is the extracts and the secures in tandem. So I I'm really excited about this change on that facet. And also the final point on the positive side in my mind and something they mentioned on the streams is this is a very positive change for new players learning the game and just playing their first tournament. Because I think something that was pretty daunting for new players was kind of the pregame. And we still have a lot of pregame, but now they can kind of focus on their 10 models and that's kind of the pregame they have to do and less on, wait, I'm playing defenders so i don't want to do demons downtown but maybe they didn't know that or you know there's a lot of things nuances in the meta and 
the game that they might not know. And now it's, they're like, well, I choose my blue deck because I'm most comfortable with it and I know what they are. <laughs> and then, you know, my opponent's going to choose red and we're going to go from there and I'm going to try to do the best with my models. And I think that's positive for new players. So I'm going to play a little Dormammu's advocate here for a moment and yeah. be like, I'm not 100% sure that this is a positive change for new players. Okay. The reason for that is, is I think it's really easy for a new player to like learn a crisis, right? Like maybe whatever your first crisis is that you play, maybe it's infinity formula and you're just like, okay, I've got a feel for this one, but I'm now I'm just going to go out. I want to play, you know, play in an event of some kind and just like get some experience and get some more games in. And it can be nice when you can go, okay, this is the one I have the most practice in. I just want to play it for this one. Cause this is kind of my comfort zone. That's true. And so there is that aspect, but on the flip side, while I think that that's potentially a negative for new players where they're going to not be able to play in their comfort zone, I think it's very good for the competitive players or the becoming competitive players to force you out of your comfort zone. Because I will say one of the plus sides of with Pagani being local over here, there's multiple times where he helped me out of my comfort zones where like he was the first person to throw deadly meteors at me. Like nobody else was choosing to play that crisis. But as soon as he threw it at me, I was just like lights were going on. I'm like, Ooh, this is like something totally different for me to think about. And I think that that's important where that forcing the variety on people will make people better players. I think it's going to be good for the community as a whole on that front. And like you just said, the variety and then the combinations of the variety, maybe some things we haven't seen that much, you know, from, both crises together that are rarely chosen. You know, this happens every once in a while when I play locally and we're just kind of playing games. We don't try to optimize. Sometimes we just do this very thing in the past. Now this rule has changed. So something that my group's a little bit familiar with, especially when we're just kind of having a fun night, you know, not really a tournament or even elimination or anything, but sometimes this made some pretty strange crises. I, you know, anytime Wakandan herbs gets brought in, a lot of weird things start happening, you know, even though that's an objective that is not picked that often. I think we're going to see it more now, potentially. I don't know. There's a lot of cool things happening. And I think what's most exciting is I'm just excited to play right now on this. And I'm excited to see how all this feels. Yeah. As much as I'm excited to play, I'm also excited to see how other people end up reacting to it, not in a podcasting hypothetical sense, right? but in a, which players are going to shift towards very similar crisis, which players are going to, are going to go for like three very different crisis and make it very difficult for your opponent to plan for it. There's only 10 characters in your roster. And so it's kind of hard to plan for everything. And I think there might be some room. I don't know. This part is totally me guessing, but I'd be very interested to see if someone develops maybe, um, maybe an Avengers roster, right. That like, doesn't really care that much about which, uh, secure you're playing on mm. and they choose three very different secures. I'm really into that idea. Yeah. Right. Where you, 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 you have the versatility, your roster can go a lot of different directions and it doesn't just like slam home in one in particular. And it's like, all right, we, if you let me pick secures, you are going to have no idea what the game is going to be like until we draw cards. And, you know, truthfully, that might be one of the strengths of the Sam Swarm right now, or even potentially Guardians of the Future if they get a couple changes. Maybe some of these more wide lists might like to make their Crisis decks a little dynamic like that. And they're just planning on going wide and, you know, forcing choices on the opponent and not really, they're playing the objectives and 
trying to get little attacks off as much as they can and dice are going to add up eventually. That's their goal. At least I don't know. I I like these ideas definitely. And I I think it's going to open up the game a lot. One of the first thoughts I had, and I don't know your takes on this ominous are, but with the crisis pure selection taken out, you know, now it's randomness, but we, you know, you still have your three and three. Do you think this helps higher threat models? And what I mean by that is models like Hulk and Dormammu and even Hulkbuster in the future. I feel like, Sometimes they could just absolutely lose to certain crises that an opponent handpicks as a counter against them because they are so high threat. And if they don't maximize all their actions, did the game's mind just not go good for them? Do you think this was a small buff to those high threat characters, which are innately sometimes just harder to win with in general? Because sometimes MCP, it's just a positioning game. It's good to have a bunch of threes and some fours and twos. But do you think this was, I don't know, a slight buff to high high threat models so two parts to that question i want to elaborate the the high threat models are it's hard to say but basically they're they're less forgiving than multiple models right Right. like if you misposition thanos with a gem and you misplay (laughs) him it almost always costs you the game like i have lost more thanos games than i think any other character right just because i was like oh well i misplayed thanos and then i lost so in that sense they they they're not very forgiving no, but to your your more important question is, does it potentially help them? I think my instinct is the answer is yes, because one, you can specifically choose to not have at this point, you can go, I don't have any low. I'm not going to run any low threat level crisis. There you and go. now your opponent is probably running a variety. Like if you're playing a Black Order team or something and you want to run Thanos plus Mind plus, you know, whatever, or you want to run Dormammu or you want to run Hulk, their ability to specifically counterpick you is going to be decreased for sure. Will it occasionally still happen? Yeah, for sure. But mm. is it going to happen as often? I would say almost certainly not. And so... Yeah, I would say I think this is a small buff to yeah. uh, to the the higher threat models. But it's maybe the people who play those more regularly might be able to answer that question a little bit better. Maybe this is a good discussion if anyone wants to bring this up in a Facebook group or on a Discord or something. If you play Thanos a lot or you have been practicing with Dormammu already, I'm kind of curious if you if you think that this would help you in those situations or does the ability to for you to hand pick a crisis, it, taking that away does that does that hurt you too much? Sure. And so if anyone has any has any thoughts there, I would love to hear them because I don't I have played no games with Dormammu and I I do I guess I probably shy away from some of the big threat characters right. most of the time. I've played a ton of Hulk, so I have some interesting thoughts for later, but I'm intending to play a lot of Thormammu. I've also played a lot of Thanos, but I'm just excited about this change in that way. And of course, I think it's just maybe even a slightly bigger buff to Dormammu because he is affiliated with everyone in his own special way. And if he's just your 10th model, but you have a standard affiliation with him, potentially, I mean... You're going to know when to bring them out, I think. And this randomizing of the crisis is probably going to help him only become more powerful if you choose him at the right time. And like you said, don't make a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Just don't make a mistake with Dormammu. If you're going to make a mistake, make a mistake with someone else. Absolutely. My instinct with Dormammu is that it's going to be like Dormammu and like power threes. 
Right. That's kind of what I think his team will look like. I agree. Okay, so that's the that's the crisis. I'm glad we got to dive into that one. That one is it's subtle but very interesting. Absolutely. Now let's talk about tactics cards being bumped to ten. You still only get a pick five, but your roster can now have ten. How much of an impact do you think that's gonna have? It's hard to say right now. I think it's a overall positive impact, just casual all the way to competitive player, in my opinion, right now. My thoughts on that could change on the maybe competitive spot later, but I doubt it because they want more thematic moments in this game and they want people to play the named cards of some of their favorite characters. And this is even more of an option now than it was before because we all have our generic cards we love and we all have our affiliation cards we love. And sometimes those character named cards got cut. And you know, of course, this is a, a boon to a lot of maybe some of the heavier hitting characters that you can actually take their cards. But I think it's a really positive change and something I was so happy about on this. And I, I also love the 10 models, 10 tactics cards, because in a month, I'm going to have a full demo day where I'm doing a bunch of demos for new players. This is probably the way we're going to do it, hopefully, if all the docs are out. But I mean, why not if it's, you know, mid, late October? And I'm going to love to say you bring 10 models. You bring 10 tactics cards and you bring three crisis cards of each type. 10 and 10. Yeah. From uh, from explaining it to people, that is going to be so much easier. Yeah. And just 10 going down to five, it just, it feels a lot better. It feels more than even two, maybe to, especially to new players because they're like, oh, I just kind of got to trim it down to half of them that I want. You know, I, I just think it's a positive change all around, but I am one of those players like, you know, I play Venom quite a bit and anytime I didn't take Lethal Protector, I felt like, Sometimes I was making a mistake, but obviously it was the right choice sometimes because I just needed blanket generic cards. Well, it's like now if I have Venom in my roster, I can always have Lethal Protector in that 10th slot, for instance. Venom was one where it was like, I really don't like running Venom without it. Right. Lethal Protector is such a good card. Well, we can talk about Wolverine and Sabretooth as well. They've got a whole suite of cards. Like I was that, actually right? going to get to Exceptional Healing here in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> but I would like Heroes for Hire. Oh, it's so good. There's a lot of really interesting cards that are specific to some characters, but it can be hard. And just say like Hulk, for instance. Gamma Launch is a great card. Absolutely. But it can be a really hard thing. Even if you wanted to have Hulk in your roster, it can sometimes be hard to fit in Gamma Launch because you're like, am I going to play Hulk enough to justify Gamma Launch taking up one of my card slots. Oh, 100%. That can be a very difficult question to to ask. And so, yeah, I think, I think overall this is going to make it easier for rosters to run, run dual affiliation. And I, I think this almost certainly puts us into the single affiliation should almost certainly be a thing of the past. Now this, I'm getting into my hot takes already. I've been Ooh, back uh... for like 40 minutes. I love this, man. Yeah, I, I think I think I'm gonna go out on a limb here right now and be like single affiliation roster should basically be a for at least from a competitive standpoint, should probably be a thing of the past with ten tactics cards. I, I feel like multi affiliation is definitely gonna be the way to go. Because you're saying on top of now we have access to these name character cards, which sometimes got set aside outside of casual play, you're saying also, that affiliations are getting more tools at their hands because you're right, there always were those second and third cards sometimes and affiliations that we just kind of ignored is one of those things like i'm going to choose wakanda forever every time and move on with my life you know yeah i just think sometimes people can now examine well i'm still going to choose wakanda forever for wakandans but you know i might exam examine you know vibranium 
shielding, or I might examine lethal protector of venoms in my list. I think this is really cool and a nice change. And on this, you add even more complexity to the game. I know there's a lot of thematic cards that are actually pretty powerful, but they never get used because sometimes they involve two characters. Case in point, the professionals card between Hawkeye and Black Widow. You could not justify taking that card before because it was taking up one slot of your eight. Even if you were running Black Widow and Hawkeye in some frequency in your Avengers list, it was hard to justify because, you know, it's it's a little bit more niche at happening too, but now it's like, well, it could be my 10th card. And I, I like playing Hawkeye and Black Widow, same that player. And I have a couple games are in a row in a tournament where I have them together. Is the crisis going to allow the professional card to be played in a productive way? Yes. Okay. I'm taking it. So I think that's what's cool too. You're kind of toolboxing a bit now too. And you're toolboxing with fun thematic things rather than just generic cards. Because I do think affiliation cards stock went up and named character cards stock went up. Yep. And I think this is also, I mean, this goes hand in hand with the changes to the crisis cards, right? Now it's going to be a little bit easier for you to run some of those, maybe crew of the Milano or what was the X-Men card that impacted um, the uh, the status effects? Was it Children of Adam? The one that I liked that you shot down. Yes. <laughs> in our X-Men episode. No, I, I agree. I, it got yeah. cut because we had first class, right? Like Children of Adam. You're right. Now you see an opponent across from you with, say, an Omega Red or a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of condition giving enemy heroes. Well, good thing you have Children Adam as a flex card for your X-Men team. Yeah, I think the 10 Tactics cards is great. There's a lot of cards that were good enough to see play, but not good enough to make the eight, the eight cards. Right. You just like when you've right. got eight, you need to be able to make use of them. There's really got to be an important reason for almost every single one of them. And then maybe one of those is a flex. Right. Yeah. yeah. Kind of talking about like a second tier of cards that we all know are pretty good, but they get chosen rarely. Yeah. There's there's another tier that's just below some of the best cards in the game that has great situations that yes. will come up in games. But they maybe only come up in one out of three games, but it would be great to have it for that game and it would totally replace you know some other you know more commonly taken card maybe like a disarm or something where i would drop disarm in favor of x you know in this one particular matchup that's common but it's just not common enough for it to hit those eight and so i think it's a fantastic change i would be really surprised if anyone didn't like it and it's you know the corset comes with more than 10 cards yeah you're right (laughs) people can start doing day one right i think it even makes the more casual environment healthier too you know it's like people can feel like oh i can take cap and bucky's card now you know i was playing them my list before potentially but i just couldn't justify that slot okay now you're just really leaning into maybe two characters you really like and doing something really cool with them that actually might win you the game i always hated it when i had to cut a character that i really wanted to play because yes. i had to cut a card like venom yeah <laughs> or you know sometimes it was like well if i can't fit you know Killmonger's card in, is it worth fitting in Killmonger? Probably and, not. you know, and there's just lots of little situations like that where you're like, well, if I've, uh, man, you know, if I'm gonna, if I can't include that card, do, do I just want to drop this character for someone else? And like Black Order, Black Order had so many interesting, yes, affiliated cards, but you just can't play all of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't. Yeah. But now you have an option. I love it. Yeah. I'm like, I love Blood Despair, but I just also was only maybe using it like half the time. And it would it'd just be nice to have some slots that fit those every other game cards a little bit better. I couldn't agree more. And I love that card. Yeah, I've had some great moments with that card. I've had some thematic moments. Sorry, Nebula. <laughs> 
Okay, so those are the the key rules changes, right? There was no other key base game rule changes. Well, the final base game rule change was the stones change or the gems. Yes. So if I recall, the way that this works is, is that now when you're building a roster, you include gems with the character and it's locked in. So now as one slot, you could have Thanos plus mind gem, but you do not have the option of just playing Thanos. If you're including Thanos, it's Thanos plus mind at seven, right? Was that your takeaway? That's absolutely it. And this opens up a lot of interesting things just because of space in your roster. We just talked about the power of adding two more tactics cards. Well, if you were always playing defenders with the soul stone, you just got a free slot, right? Yep. I think this is pretty cool. It, it It's obviously a subtle nerf to black order, but clearly black order has been winning a lot of things lately. So it's not a bad thing. I'm not thing. convinced it's a nerf. Cause like Corvus getting an extra slot, like, cause Corvus plus reality is its own thing. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I misspoke when I say nerf. It's it's a Black Order players have to rethink their game plan because before they were kind of building Thanos and Corvus accordingly with the threat, and then they took cheaper models to kind of supplement it. Of course, Proxima made it in every time if she could. Now Corvus and Thanos are locked in. And I'm talking about Thanos in particular, Charles, where it's like, you've got to be confident. Are you running two stone Thanos, one stone Thanos? You've got to be confident what you're doing with him locked in forever, right? And then same with Corvus. I don't think anyone has any fear of locking the reality gem to Corvus, but what's funny about that is now you can never take the reality gem on Thanos. So there there are interesting things happening for Black Order players in particular. Everyone else, I do think it's a very, very big positive. So before we move away from Black Order, I just wanted to say, to clarify, I think if you're playing a Black Order only roster, I do think it was probably a minor nerf where your nice. some of your flexibility is gone. That's what I'm referring to. If you're yes. playing a Black Order dual affiliation roster, I think you just like got a whole lot better. You've kind of got a little mini team ready to face the threats that your locked in Thanos can't. Your ability to have a more flexible roster just like got pretty significantly different. But now you you just may not be able to play Black Order in every situation. Absolutely. But I do like the the slots are open. You know, it is tougher on some of the threat characters that we like to flex sometimes, like the mind gym on Loki might not be happening as often because I think Loki is four threats fine, but five now being locked in always, that's kind of tough. So it's interesting because we're going to get more gym play in general, just across the board. I really think we are because people are just going to lock it in a slot with a character and that's going to be their pick when they need it. But you know, they're not losing another slot for that. So we're going to see more of the gems, I think, in general, which is pretty cool because, you know, are people locking uh, Ronin with that power gem or something? You know, there's a lot of interesting things that we've seen in the game, but I think we're going to see a little bit more of potentially. Yeah, I think Loki's going to be a really challenging one. Like, yeah, I'm curious, you know, when the next stats hit for like a TTS league or something, I'm going to be really curious if Loki is more common with or without the gem. It's a great question. Right, because I want to say in Asgard, it will probably be without Jem. Yes. Because with Jem, he's competing with Angela. And, you know, maybe Angela doesn't make it. I mean, she's a great character, but, you know, that's a difficult question. But he's a really great four for Asgard. And so that's tough. In Cabal, I want to say Loki plus Mind is going to be more common. I like that. Yeah. But... Yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough. <laughs> like, I'll, it'll be really interesting to see how that one comes down. Do you have Do you have any predictions there? I'm gonna say 
less Jim Loki going forward, but I think only slightly, you know, because I think like we, what you just said, I think the people that lock the gym on Loki are going to have a defined plan in their list. And, you know, they did just get another slot in their list. Yeah, it's it's true. So they can supplement that kind of locking in a five threat now with a, a three or two or something. Yeah, I think for him, it's going to be kind of like Loki plus. So if you were running Loki and the mind gem, yeah. and now you're going to stick the mind gem on Loki, I think what you're probably going to do is that other slot's probably going to become a four threat that you would take in the situations where you would have just taken Loki. I love that idea. But it gives you access to a whole different character. It's going to be interesting. And it it helps with your dual affiliation idea, right? Yeah. I've always preferred dual affiliation as well. And I do agree, like, we've got more space now to kind of just lock in dual affiliation and just kind of commit to it. I think that's pretty cool. Overall, this is a nice change for the game. You know, I've played a ton of Guardians, you know, despite, you know, where they fall in the power rankings. I've played so much Guardians. And, you know, this is an interesting question for Guardians players, too. Like, do you just lock the power gem on Ronin or Star-Lord and that's just kind of how it is? Like, or do you just ignore it forever and get another two or three threat in your list? I think I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, I don't think Guardians takes the power gem now. I think before you could do it because you had some flexibility with where you could put it. But I think for Guardians now, I think the Power Gem is probably not on the roster because I don't think you want to lock it into either of those characters. No, and you you want to go as wide as you can for the most part when you can. So, yeah, I, I, I agree completely. You know, some might surprise us out there. Yeah, who knows? There's always somebody. Well, I mean, it's like... Did Ronan with the power gem locked in without taking a slot? Is he now opened up more in humans now? You know, these are questions I do not know the answers to, but I like posing them and I'm interested. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very interested because Ronan's grown to become one of my favorite characters. And I think I'm not a huge Inhumans fan, but I would probably play them more if I could do more cool things with Ronan. I just haven't explored that space yet. I like Ronan a lot. I think Ronan is a really, really solid character that could probably be in almost any roster. I would agree. And he's one of the few fours that I really like. You got no complaints from me here. I've I've played him so much. I, I feel like he's very slept on, especially in the competitive community. And I think he's got a lot going for him and he's got a lot of versatility. Yeah, I think the thing with Ronan is, is that he's got no places where he's required. But he's just kind of always an option. If you're if you're ever looking at your roster and you're like, I don't know what my tenth character should be. I just want to, and I just want to add a character that's a cool, powerful character in a variety of situations that doesn't require any additional tactics cards. Ronan's your man. Like you heard it here first. I love it. Ronan. I don't think there's any affiliation that given the right situation, wouldn't be happy to have Ronan as an option. I don't think there's any roster out there that's like, I need to take Ronan. And so that's where I where I, I just don't think he he hits that level of love. But I think that's perfect. I think we should the more yep. care we have that's in that space, I think the better for the game it is. Take him if you want, leave him at home. If. I agree. And just play what you want to play, right? And if you like Ronin and his play style, give him a try in any list you want. But also Omnis, you might be speaking to a discussion we could further expand on in the future, but the validity of certain threat levels, you know, and kind of how wide or narrow they get. And some of them I feel get pretty narrow and others get pretty wide. For instance, the three, obviously we have more threes than anything else in the game, but also the threes are pretty wide in what they do. And there's a lot of things. And I think people on the fours in particular get pretty narrow focus sometimes on just the star players. And that's just part of the community's mindset, I think. And it's just something that happens with the four threats a lot in particular. And it's just interesting. Maybe that'll change in the future when we have just more four threats. I don't know. All right. So I have a challenge for us down the road that you inspired. So I feel like we're going to have to do this at some point. Okay. After we see the rest of the card updates for the core box, 
Right. Let's record an episode for either show, my show, your show, both, whatever. When we build a roster for new players with the new card information from the core set or core set plus Modoc Hulk or something, whatever, whichever way we want to do it. We'll have to figure out exactly what our rules are going to be. Maybe you can include like one or two expansions, but yeah. basically build a roster that's meant to be basically the core set plus a little bit so that people just hopping into the game with when the new cards and stuff release and the new card packs, here's a cool roster. Like if you just want to like start playing some games, here's a baseline roster to just kind of like get yourself rolling. I love that idea. We should definitely do that. And I think they're going to change, you know, more cards past the core set they said. So I, we can focus on the core set in those early waves in particular. I think it's a really good idea. Yeah, because uh, Miles and Gwen would be in like the first few waves, even though they came they out would. late. They were intended to be in the first. We could pick like through CPX and then yes. we're like, okay, now we we put together a roster kind of like what we did for X-Men. And maybe we yes. just build a roster that's like, here's a cool roster. We could link that that episode for people that are like, Hey, I'm just hopping into the game. I want to like have some roster to like to play with some friends so they can start experiencing the full, you know, this is, this is kind of like how the process goes. Here's a solid roster for you to start with, or maybe two, you know, whatever. We I'm going to say two. Yeah. Let's, let's do heroes and villains if we can. I mean, not to restrict us too much, but if it's dual affiliation, it might be both. <laughs> it's so true. Come on. Dual affiliation world. We're living in dual affiliation. Cabal Avengers. Keep a lookout on our feeds for that in the future. But yeah. Omnis, the last rules change before we get into character cards change, which w- was a subtle one. And I'm going to touch on it here on the end because I do think it, once again, is furthering this, this discussion we're having about kind of list variety and optimizing your 10 models. They said the rule is no longer in effect where you can take characters that have the same alter ego. Before, you could not take two Peter Parkers in a list, for instance. Now you can. What do you think about that change? I think it's great. I honestly, I don't think that rule ever needed to be in place in the in the first place. I agree, especially now that we have two Doctor Stranges that are both five threat. Right? It makes it so obvious to me that it'd be cool to have both in your list. I'm so all aboard the normal Doctor Strange train that I'm I know. like Sorcerer Supreme. Like I don't know when I would play you. Well, I think he's your flex strange. I think your, <laughs> I think your OG strange is your main strange, and he's your flex strange. But topic for another time. But I think it's really, really good for Black Widow. The biggest thing oh, holding man. back Agent of Shield was the fact that she was, you know, the only <laughs> two threat for Avengers. Right. And it, it was very hard to fit her into a roster at times when you kind of felt like you needed normal Black Widow, Core Widow. Core being the two threat and Agent Widow being the three threat, right? Right. That's a great change. And I don't think it, it has any real negative impact. I think it's fine that you have multiple Spider-Mans, multiple Peter Parkers all in your roster, but only one Peter Parker can actually hit the table. I'm totally good with that. And once again, it helps new players, right? It, it just it cuts down confusion and you can just kind of build what you want to build and flex the way you want to flex, you know, against yeah, your opponent. Because Avengers rosters should start with Hulkbuster and then Iron Man. And then you build from there. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> got all the Tony and then fill in with whatever else you want. Works for me. We got we to hold back on the Hulkbuster conversation to later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the characters a bit. Let's start with Cap. Starting with Captain America, Steve Rogers. This is pretty cool, Omnis. Like, if this is any indication of the way they're going to go f- forward in the future, I think Cap is probably the best representation of the tweaks. Hulk is more like a rework. Cap is 
some legit tweaks that with our knowledge of what we know that's transpired in the community so far are really nice tweaks. Yeah, I I think it's kind of perfect when it doesn't suddenly make Cap amazing, but suddenly it's like he feels worthwhile at four. And right, so it's he can now push size three with his strike. Yep. Right. And that's on a wild, if I recall. Yes. So originally it was size two and yep. now it's size three or or less. And his shield throw now generates energy like Sam's, but it's strength five. Right. So it's its strength went up higher than Sam's shield throw. And then every time he throws it, he just auto gains the power. And, you know, on Fury's Finest, we love things like this where they just guarantee the power. You know, sometimes rapid fire is just cool on a character like Widow just to guarantee you gain the power because you might have a tax card in your hand and you know how much you need to gain to pay for it, for instance. I love yep. this type of thing. But the shield throw being five now, Omnis, and, you know, chances to ricochet are higher. You know, the target never benefited from line of sight or cover before. So now they got five dice coming at them from range four. Not bad. Yeah, it's a pretty legit scary throw now. Like it, it definitely, <laughs> and there were so many times where you needed Cap to be in a particular position to protect someone else. Now he can still be in that position and he's got a slightly more threatening attack that also generates him some power. And there's a chance that he generates two because he could ricochet and generate another power. I know. This is cool stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and he's a, he's a more formidable four threat now because I think one of Cap's things that we saw over time is that they were trying to keep his powerful leadership in line by kind of controlling his attacks. Now his attacks being all better by a little bit because once again, Shield Slam got buffed as well because Shield Slam now, if the target is size three or less, after the attack is resolved, they could be thrown short. It just happens after the Shield Slam, the spenders used. I know you don't love spenders on this, but now everything is size three. I loved his spender. I Shield Slammed with Cap all the time. That was one of my favorite attacks from him. That one is a legit spender. I know I crap on spenders all the time, but that one's a good one. It only costs two and you get to auto throw short and now he's throwing size three characters. I mean, he can do more damage with collisions now as well, right? Yeah. His damage went up. So he has a great leadership as we know, but everyone was kind of like, well, you're taking the cap tax because there's clearly stronger fours in the game, but I'm using him for his leadership. I mean, I think there might even be a future now ominous where caps taken outside of Avengers in particular, his Avengers. We'll see. But I just think he's a formidable four, four now that you got to respect because he always had the bodyguard. He always had the vibranium shield and he always had, I can do this all day, which made him unique in his own right on a tanky side of things and a protector side of things. But now his attacks are a lot more consistent. I'm trying to figure out whether I agree or disagree with the statement that you just made. Do I think he will be taken outside of Avengers? And he is a solid bodyguard. And the fact that he can generate power, the shield throw now, that does make it a bit more, bit more consistent. Yeah. But with all that said, I'm still thinking that he is 99% Avengers. Four threat is just hard. Like four, four threats hard. Yeah. Well, if you're taking a four threat out of affiliation, you're competing with like Medusa's. I know. I'm sure it's coming for her though. <laughs> but I don't know. It's not out of the question. And that says a lot. Well, I just think this even potentially opened up at least certainly for fun, him being played in Sam's Avengers, which is a different team, right? I don't know, but it's cool. I like you know? Sam in Cap's Avengers more. Oh, well, that's possible now. I mean, it was possible before, but I feel like that just got better now too, right? Because Cap's just better all, all around. I just, I think the issue with Cap before 
ominous was that on his best day, he was staying alive and protecting his allies, and he was rarely doing damage. He would, but he would sometimes do some good throws. Now he's kind of got, like you said, a little bit consistency in his power generation and his damage now on top of what he already did well and giving his team his affiliation. So I'm excited. Yeah, like I said, I I think I think Sam Cap is a solid three anyway, right. and so I think you could absolutely play Sam Cap with Steve Cap. Yeah, maybe Steve could uh, vibranium for Sam. <laughs> you know, there's lots of cool things happening. Sam being able to airlift for one and vibranium shield for one and like charge turn one and. You know, there's a lot of things to like there in general. It's cool, man. We're just going to see more Avengers, I think, which is a big thing because that's the thing where we haven't talked about yet, right? Is I think, at least in competitive play, Avengers were seen less than a lot of other affiliations. And maybe we will see them more now just because of Cap's changes. Yeah. And I, and I really hope so. And it was always so weird to me that like the, the affiliation with the most characters ends up being one of the worst was really strange to me. <laughs> well, and probably the most recognizable and widespread. But yeah, anyway, these changes the cap, great. I think it's it's perfectly in line and like it doesn't suddenly break Avengers, but it makes the feasibility of playing Steve Rogers a lot more. It's great. I mean he is the first core set leader and so is Red Skull, right? So this is uh, just a huge positive for the game. I mean we should still get a stealth suit Captain America at some point. But. At some point, I know that's your favorite suit, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, I put you on the spot there, but I I know you're a fan of it. Yeah, I mean, I'm one of the people that can like background story. I want you to know, like, when I went into Mopop, like this is the yeah. museum of pop culture, like going through there, I could tell, like, oh wait a minute, they mislabeled that suit. Like there, when I went into the museum of pop culture, they had mislabeled a Black Widow suit. And they had it listed as Avengers 1 when it was Avengers 2. And that's the sort of that I can notice. Most people wouldn't notice that. But I actually had to like, we went and like told the the staff, I'm like, hey, by the way, you might want to get that relabeled. That's wrong. That is so funny. You sound like me, man, in a Star Wars museum. So, but yeah. <laughs> I'm the same way. But that's impressive. But we've got to move on from Cap to yep. MODOK. Obviously, I mean, we all knew that MODOK was a little overtuned, right? Yes. I think there was probably some decisions going on that are like, nobody knows who MODOK is. He's a weird looking dude. We have to make him good if he's going to get play, if he's going to get purchased and he's going to get played. And like, let's be honest, these injection molds are expensive and they can't justify having a character that's not going to sell. And man, MODOK ended up a little overtuned, but... Right. I think the changes are perfect, right? Because we there's a couple of subtle changes. His bow is now once per turn, it's which is great. It just means he can't bow three different characters. He now can only bow one character once instead of three different characters or four different characters if he has the energy to do it. Great change. He's a powerful character. He didn't need that. They corrected the timing on the reroll ability, and now his reroll ability can only be used once per turn. So yeah. he, if he makes two attacks, he can use the reroll on one of those two attacks. That's it. And I love it. I think that's a, just a very nice love tap that brings him down just a notch. So it's a little bit easier to compare other fives to him. I would have liked his ignoring wilds to be one wild per attack. I would agree. I feel like it's his most feels bad element against especially new players, but just players in general. I swear every time I attack Modok, if I actually make an attack against him, I roll all wilds. Like 
almost every day is a wild. It's it feels so bad when you're like, man, three wilds, boom, and then you're like, no, <laughs> like you can't even get a wild effect against Modok. It's yeah, true. It's it, it should be one that I think that's fair. Where he negates one wild out of every attack would be plenty, and so that would just have been my one additional change because he should not be near invulnerable. No, absolutely not. Now, what's interesting about these changes is he's obviously going to have more power now, so I think he's actually going to do his spender more often, and his spender is actually pretty terrifying if you clump up. So, I don't know. It, like, He's still going to be a force on the field and do a ton of damage and shred your team up, so I think he's completely fine. I think some people are already getting scared, you know, because I think they got comfortable with how powerful he was, but I think these are all positive changes, not only for the character, but for the game, of course. I think really the thing is now he is just going to have more power to play aim lackeys. Yeah. And <laughs> guess what? We have a slot frame lackeys now. Exactly. Exactly. I love you're it. Just, yeah. You're just going to see him actually playing aim lackeys now and he's going to have the power to do it. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's a good card. Yeah. I think overall, like I said, I would have loved to see that wild be once per attack, but in the end, I think this is an overall, overall positive thing. Absolutely. And moving on to just, Another, probably the most subtle change we've seen, but it's cool that they addressed her in this first presentation because, once again, someone who's been running rampant through the community since her release, Shuri. Yep, and Shuri, uh, just one change, right? And that is her push is now restricted to size three or less. Right. There you go. I mean... Makes total sense. Like, I don't think anyone plays Shuri and thinks that she should be pushing Hulk and MODOK and stuff around. <laughs> I would agree. But also, they did change the wording on her upgrades to oh, yeah. bring it in line with the changes they made with rerolling dice. It says, while another allied character within four is attacking or defending, during the modified dice set of the attack, Shuri may spend up to three power to use his superpower. For each power spent, the ally may, attacking or defending may reroll one of their attack or defense dice per power spent. So it's directly telling when it's happening, when you have to do it. They're just clarifying that. All good changes. I think perfectly on Shuri is still one of the best threes in the game. This doesn't really change that. She shouldn't be able to push Dormammu, man. So this is this is all good. I, I'm I not think... sure Dormammu should be able to be pushed, period. But that's I would different. agree. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you're an eight threat character, you should not be able to be pushed. I like these takes. I don't even think they're hot. I just, yeah. I just think they're here. But I do like the rewording of Shuri's, you know, re-rolls because it's something we're obviously going to see with Beast as well, right? Because these were some of the characters that they brought up in that infamous forum that we're not you know, going to get into here because everybody knows the story. But now it's been clarified directly on the card. Yep. And I, I approve 100%. Absolutely. I did not ever want to be in a situation where I had to explain those rules to someone. Man, I've been there. It's not fun. Sounds awful. It's not great, especially when you're teaching the game or just trying to have fun. But speaking of having fun, <laughs> one of my most played characters who everything had to go perfectly right for you. You had to do turn zero correctly. You had to take gamma launch, all this stuff. I mean, really, you kind of had to. Hulk has been changed quite dramatically on this. Yeah, lots, lots to absorb. And so I've both I've ragged on Hulk as being a fundamentally poorly designed character. But I also want to be clear, Hulk was in my roster and saw play in the Las Vegas Open tournament that I won way back in the day. Right. Yes. I, I played him and I gamma launched Killmonger. It was super fun. Oh, it's so good. But the there's lots of changes here. So let's see. So physical defense four, energy and mystic three. 
Yes. So he his original now, defenses were two, two, three. So he went yes. four, three, three. Yep. His strike now generates energy. Correct. Was his strike a six or a seven before? Because it's a seven now. It was a six. Now it's yeah, a seven. That's what I thought. It has a wild push now. That's new, correct? No, he had, he had a wild push before. Okay. So that's exactly the same because it says may push away short. But, you know, it's nice that there's no size restriction. The original card didn't have the size restriction either. It is Hulk. Come on. Yeah. Gained immunity stun. Nice little little extra thing there. He did. His other abilities are mostly the same with the exception of you won't like me when I'm angry. Now is for every you gain an additional die for every four damage, not every three. So that, yeah, that, of course, is when Hulk's damaged. He gains more dice added to all of his attacks. So they had to bring that back a little bit because his yeah. defenses are a lot better. Yes. And he's generating power. Like, there's a lot, lot to think about there. But he gained a defensive ability. Yes. Hulk, not puny banner. While this character is defending against physical or energy attacks, during the modified dice step of the attack, may use a superpower. This character may reroll any number of its defend dice, including failures. It's so good. So lots, lots to like about that. It does cost three. So it's not something, man, if he could use that for one in Avengers, ooh, that would be a little scary. But, um, <laughs> but down to two is pretty nice. I've always liked the fact that with his additional two power in the power phase, that he's always been able to strongest one there is like every round. He's got a great throw, you know, throws a size four or less. um, And it can be an enemy character. And if they're thrown medium, that's that's really good. So I've always liked that about him. But now he's got an even more reliable strike. It actually generates power to facilitate some defensive tech. And making it a little bit easier for him to use his leap and use his throws. Yeah, I, I, I like everything about this. Well, it's like before, I always said on our podcast, like, ideally, you want to be gamma leaping every turn early game if you can with Hulk. And you can do that within a rage because he has three power a turn. But then he didn't gain any power after that. So I feel like you're always spending your power to gamma leap early game. And you were spending your power late game to strongest one there is. But now you're going to have a lot more power because you have a seven dice builder that actually gives you power. So he's hopefully going to be able to gamma leap and strongest run there is ominous and strike, you know, potentially in a turn. Like there's a lot of cool things happening here with this character now because of his power generation, because of his defenses, him being around longer, you know, and we know like the longer you're around the game, the more things you can do and the more power you can generate. Yeah. And having the higher defenses makes him more useful on the different crises that require, you know, an energy role or a physical role. Oh yeah massively like just makes him a more versatile character across the board. I, I like it quite a bit. Yeah. Is he just like awesome on the mutant madman traps now? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's not two characters, but right. it, it would not be out of the realm of craziness for him <laughs> to strike two different characters away yeah. and throw someone away and then roll four dice on the objective. Yeah. Like there's lots of potential there. He is still a character. If I'm playing him, I feel like I want Shuri around. Like, he's still a character with no rerolls. Well, he's got some defensive rerolls. Now I'm not I'm questioning my own my own statement there. Because I feel like with seven dice, you've got a pretty, pretty reasonable shot at doing the push. He's going to be able to generate the power to have some defensive reroll tech. Yeah. you got to love, too, that the push is just... It doesn't care about size or so anybody. It's just getting yeah. pushed. I mean, with seven dice, like... We're getting in the numbers of strikes, you know, that we have 
rarely seen or never seen, you know? So it's, it's interesting. Like we're getting, when you get past six ominous or six plus, it's just the builders are getting real good. Yep. And I like, he's interesting in both Avengers and defenders right now. It's going to be a little bit easier for him in defenders to switch that. Can you imagine him making mystic strikes on people? Oh, now he actually gets power from it. Right. So it's a little bit easier for him to spend the power to like, actually like use the leadership and that sort of thing. And you're like defenders is, is an affiliation <laughs> that can run characters where everyone moves someone around. Cause right. You have, you have Dr. Strange who can move right. people around Valkyrie, Spider-Man, Hulk. Like I know. you're getting to a pretty reasonable list of people where like everyone can move people around. Oh yeah. I mean, even daredevil with his baton hook, right? There's, there's things happening. It's weird. Cause they're, they're pretty fighty attrition, but they're also control. So where does Hulk fit in that? I really like that. And Hulk's already been really good with the pentagram portals. So this is a lot scarier now him coming through a portal. Oh yeah. Like he's going to do a lot more work. I actually won a tournament the last time I played of casual tournament with Hulk in defenders because I was sending him through the portal, you know, and that was the old Hulk. So I don't know. I'm excited about it. There is a lot to like, I, I heard some people even go like, is he like really, really good or is he just good? <laughs> And I think that's going to be a hard question to answer without game time. We got to play. I would it. say he is going to see competitive play now. I don't think he's broken. I think it's really hard to break. Six threat has to be really good. But it does. Maybe there's going to be one team where you're like, this team with Hulk is really good. And I think it's it's got to be a team that either has a, a high enough volume of characters with it. Can we get Crazy Town here? Well, I've got some Crazy Town too, so I'm ready for this. Maybe Hulk is like the perfect guardian now. Whoa, I like this. Continue. Because Hulk just needs rerolls. It's like true. some offensive rerolls. And it's an affiliation that doesn't mind having access to a launch. And I don't know. They have the like some of the biggest grouping of cheap models in the game, right? To stay affiliated. Yeah. So I, it makes sense because he is a big high threat model. You got to pair him with lower threat models. I'm, I'm on board. I'm on board. I also like him in X-Men. Getting, I was getting cover from some of those ranged attacks from Storm and the potential like teleport either off of his large base or teleport him. It's so cool. No, it's good. Yeah, and they've got a lot of cheap characters too. Even with the hopefully soon arrival of the Midnight Suns with the place range one as their affiliation leadership, he might fit there as well because, you know, I said in our show, well, that, that's a that's a helpful for Ghost Rider for sure because of the large base size. Well, Hulk's large base size too. And Hulk really likes to be in people's faces. So anything that's going to help him get movement or rerolls, I think you're right on this is just good for him. But also now that he can't be stunned and he's gaining a lot more consistent power. My dream of running Hulk and she Hulk in a force, I think is, is here. <laughs> and, and you want to talk about two characters having a lot of power and doing a lot of scary things. If they're around, it's them together, you know, agents of smash. So I don't know. I think there's a lot of things to explore. Certainly a lot of things to have fun with. Yeah. It, there's going to be some interesting games in our futures for sure. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay. So random, just little like off the, off the cusp question. Who do you like more if you were just going to randomly throw a Hulk into an unaffiliated list? She-Hulk or Hulk? That's a hard question. I know. That's why I'm asking it, because it's fun. In an unaffiliated team? Yes. I think we got to talk this out, because I think we got to talk about their similarities and differences, because what's your goal in this unaffiliated team? I mean, 
I've been talking for some time on the Furious Finest about just having an unaffiliated team that is all about giving conditions, you know, and just controlling the battlefield. We'll see how it goes. But I, I do think it is a possibility now more than ever. In that team, I would probably have She-Hulk, maybe. But Hulk and an unaffiliated team, like, what's the goal of this unaffiliated team, you know? Like, is it just, we're, we're just trying to get Hulk on the board and we just don't really care about affiliation. We're just trying to make a, the best team around him? Because I think if that's the case, I think it's Hulk. I think I, my answer to the question would be Hulk, because one, he's a size four, so he's a little bit harder to push, even though she's got the gamma transfusion ability. Right. It's easier for him to get off a throw every round, and I like that his strike has the push on it, as opposed to um, Grant, you know, giving someone slow. So my instinct says that I like I like New Hulk better than better than She-Hulk for just some random unaffiliated team with no other, with no other information. Fair enough. I could see the argument either way. Superior weight training is pretty good. Superior weight training is very good. I think if you get them together, it's like Hulk just went up a lot and we just got a tactics card change of two more tactics cards. So I think playing them together is more likely now than ever before. That's all I'm saying. You know, (laughs) like you can even take that agents of smash card if you really want to. And your 10th slot, we can have fun. What is that card one and one or is it two and two? I think it might be two, which really hurts, but yeah, it's still so cool. Like they're throwing a size five long and it's an extra throw, right? Right. Like, so right. It's, it's an extra throw. Yeah. Yeah. It's an extra huge amount of damage. You're getting a building thrown at you. Yeah. <laughs> I think we have dived into all of these crazy changes. Eh, not crazy. I think just welcome, welcome changes. Absolutely. Well, what's most welcome about this Omnis is like, we have these now, but we're getting the print and play versions very soon. Not soon enough. I want them like tomorrow. I know. And they said by the spring, we're getting the card pack, which is really going to address the core set and these first couple waves. Oh, and I thank God we're getting a card pack. I don't, I like having the actual cards. I do too, especially because something you and I didn't talk about yet, but Chris and I did in our episode, but the formats changed. It's, it's sideways now and it's more readable and, and also more languages can fit on the cards now, which is pretty funny because it makes sense that before certain languages did not fit, but I think these are all positive changes and I'm really looking forward to, these subtle tweaks on early wave characters. I know, I, I I think we have a feeling as a community, what the bigger tweaks are going to be. Maybe not the big, big tweaks like a Hulk, but like things like MODOK, we knew there was some tweaks coming there. At least we had a feeling if they were going to say, we're going to tweak some characters. That was my thought. I'm interested in the subtle tweaks on all these sorts of characters. Like what core set characters are getting tweaks is the reign of Baron Zemo going down, you know, is Baron Zemo's charge, costing more or something. I don't know. I'm so excited about getting all the early waves in line with the recent waves. I will say my least favorite part about it is how much I'm going to see posts about random people being like, Corvus shouldn't be able to have the reality stone. And like all these random, like super hot takes that I see just like, all right, the errata door is open. Let the train come through. Like, no, no, no. Nerfs no. are going to be very subtle. And I like the way they're handling it. I don't think people have some reasonable expectations. No. And I think, like, Cap's a great example of kind of, like, a slightly bigger turn of the knob. But I, I think Shuri's a great example of a slight turn of the knob. And I think yeah. we can only be excited about both of those things. And then, of course, the third thing, which is a big turn of the knob, something like Hulk, if necessary. But I really don't think there's that many of those in the game. But, you know, I am looking forward to if Ghost Rider 
gets immunity to incinerate. That's something I, I'd be, I'd really enjoy, <laughs> you know, but I wouldn't mind bullseye and Gamora getting like a pretty reasonable turn. <laughs> yeah, I would agree, especially with Gamora. But she is a fourth threat, right? Yes. And she is supposed to be a scary piece in the guardians. Yes. Which I think is really cool. And you know, she's a character you and I've talked about a lot because she needs more love. So I agree. And she's a great sculpt. And so I really always hate seeing like really good sculpts going like here, enjoy your time on my shelf. Yeah. That is, that is a hard thing to to stomach, but a lot of positive things going for us in the future because yeah, lots, lots to be hyped about. This is helping competitive players and new players alike because it's just going to make the game feel tighter and make the battles and, you know, fights we have on these crises we love so much more dynamic. And when you see Hulk now, you will fear him. <laughs> and if you don't fear him, I don't know why you, you don't fear him. Maybe you have a plan. If you aren't scared now, you will be. You will be. Oh, it's so true. But I'm so excited about this future of this game, man. Yeah, so much on the horizon. Okay, Charles, so I think that was a pretty in-depth discussion of all the card changes we had today. And man, I'm just so excited to be back into this game and the future of this game. How about you? Oh, yeah. Um, it's really cool for me to like start feeling some of that drive and motivation again. And it's good on AMG for, you know, doing that and recognizing it's it's time to like make a couple shuffles and, you know, they saw an opportunity with the way that they're going to have to redesign the cards. Like, Hey, we're going to do any erratas, which there are some characters that should have it. This is the time to do it. And I think that's a smart call. No, I couldn't agree more. And we got a really bright future ahead of us. So in closing today, Omnis, where can everyone find you online? Really? You just search for Omnis protocol. Um, everything's in my link tree um, at the Omnis on Twitter and all I'll try to actually be posting episodes and such. So if you're looking at all the Omnis Protocol places, I'll, I'll try to have some content coming for you guys very shortly. Well, of course, you share space with us on the Across the Bifrost Nexus, and I know a lot of people follow there as well. Yep. So I'm really looking forward to your stuff popping back up on not only your feed, but on the Across the Bifrost ne- Nexus. Also, you know, if you don't follow Charles on your podcast app of choice, make sure to do that with Omnis Protocols. You can, of course, follow me, Jesse, Anywhere online, just at Jesse Aiken. That's J-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. And of course, follow the show at Fury's Finest on Facebook and Instagram and at Fury's Finest cast on Twitter because we got a lot of exciting things not only coming on the show, but just the future of this game. We're just trying to keep up, honestly. (laughs) Keep up. We're doing our character episodes like normal. We're doing our news episodes like normal. We're doing MCU content and all that's ramping up for us on Furious Finest because we're getting more characters in the game. We're getting more news on <laughs> MCP. And of course the MCU is finally back in full swing. Did you spend six energy for that? Follow me. Cause that's what I'm feeling. Follow me. You blew the taxes card. That's it. That's it. That card's in your 10 now. I'm hoping <laughs> it so, worked its way in. It worked its way in. So make sure you're subscribed to Omnis's show. And of course our show, because there's a lot of content coming and we want to, Enjoy all this alongside you, the listener and the community. So thanks for coming on the show again today, Omnis. We're going to have to rebuild that X-Men list. I'm really looking forward to our tweaks to that because a lot of people said that was a really fun episode that they really enjoyed and got a lot out of. Because, I mean, let's be honest, you and I, we went from zero to a hundred all on mic. It was kind of insane. Yeah, it was it was super fun. I think I'll actually go back and listen to that and maybe start theorizing some thoughts for 
you know, what, what changes and stuff would be made. That would be, that would be a lot of fun to do. Yeah. I'd like to do a more concise version of that, like a part two where it's like people can listen to part one and then part two, they can be like, okay, they know the headspace we were in and kind of building off the crisis and building the best storm X-Men team. But now we can make some tweaks, you know, we can throw in cable, we can throw in domino, the list goes on. So I'm really looking forward to returning to that, but that's it for today's show. I hope you guys enjoyed us, our discussion on all these mini extravaganza rules, cards, tactics cards, crisis cards, changes, you name it. I mean, the game is being changed in a positive way. And thanks again, Charles, for coming on. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. True Believers. The world has gotten even stranger than you already know. At this point, I doubt anything would surprise me. Ten bucks says you're wrong. 